Hey feminist fans and welcome to Real Feminism, the podcast where we discuss films from an intersectional feminist perspective. Today I'm joined by Hedvig and Karin. That's not how you pronounce your name. <laughs> it's fine, don't worry. For the record of the podcast, how do you pronounce your name, Karin? Karin. There we go. Karin City. Karin. <laughs> yes, see, she's good. Yeah, but she's already European and I'm not anymore. I'm Swedish, like that's the furthest away from <laughs> You can both speak two languages. I'm just, I can't even speak Irish, which is the language of my ancestors. I can't even do that. But anyway, that's fine. Today, we're going to discuss volume one of Kill Bill, otherwise known as Kill Bill, volume one. But before we do that, we are how many weeks into our third lockdown? It's mid-March for us. Yeah. How are you guys coping? I mean, now I'm starting to see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. It seems like we're moving in the right direction and I'm hoping by the summer we'll be able to do stuff. But I think I got used to it, really. Mm, I mean, I can't, I can't wait to go to the pub and just like have drinks with people. But I mean, I'm living my life through The Sims. Like I get to go out on nightclubs, <laughs> like they go out dancing, they go out on like perfect dates, you know, they get travel, like... <laughs> yeah, that's basically how I live my life these days through The Sims. Are you still playing it in real time so that they don't die? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's very important to me. Also, I realized that you can turn off auto-aging, so you can just keep them the same age forever, which helped me a lot because it stressed me out a lot when I started to play it. Uh, it stressed me out that they were slowly dying constantly. Just like we are right now. Exactly. So I just felt like... <laughs> Finding that setting where I could just turn off aging really improved my and their quality of life. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you could do that. Mm-hmm. I just assumed that you just, that was it. You just had them until they died. If you remember in The Sims 1, you couldn't, like, The Sims didn't actually age. They were just like, mm-hmm. they only, like, they could only die through, you know, a fire or if they were swimming or if. If you know you the player killed them. Exactly. An accident. An accident. <laughs> Build that pool, remove that ladder. <laughs> Buy Sim. Also, if you made a baby by making out loads, it would appear in a crib and then it would age up to a child. And then that was it. The child was just a child forever. Forever. Oh yeah, that's true. I remember that. I was also thinking now, in like, I guess, relation to Kill Bill, how like Beatrix Kiddo is such a badass killer like if I would be a serial killer would I just then build a pool and remove the ladder and let my (laughs) victims just drown in the pool (laughs) I like the idea of if it were actual humans you'd remove the ladder and they'd be like well I can't get out of here now (laughs) I'm stuck forever forever Well, I have some very exciting news for all of my spiritual ladies. So you too. I've booked my first official tarot reading by someone who has a tarot qualification because you can get that, it turns out. Amazing. And I'm really excited. I've never had someone read for me like that before. That's so cool. Are you going to do it like on a video? Yes. Her name's Mercury Tarot. And she will often read at the Lost Boys Pizza Place in Camden. So shout out to both of those people. And I think I missed her. I think she was there one day when I wasn't and I was going to be there the next day. So I've been following her for a while. And the other day she was like, hey, I can do readings. I was like, yes, give me a reading. I want to know. Amazing. Tell me. 
and also because I love reading for other people I'm interested to see like what does an official reading look like like if you're charging someone for it how does that work like how do you start a session how do you I'm just so curious Mm, well, I don't know how you're it works. very good at it you're very good at reading thank you, have you I'm going to tell read, that she's wrong the whole time Korean? I have read for Korean quite a few times I have a deck and I'm more than happy to read for you sometime it's great <laughs> if you get really drunk I get really into it <laughs> <laughs> cool shall we dive into talking about Kill Bill yes a little bit of background for you all Kill Bill was released in 2003 I think volume two came out in 2004. For our listeners who don't know, Kill Bill was meant to be one film that was then split into two because it was too long and no one was going to sit for four hours and watch a movie. Unless you're Lee and you've just watched the Snyder Cut of Justice League, which he did watch last night and is four hours long. Anyway, it's directed by Quentin Tarantino, obviously. And there were quite a few um, producers, either assistant or executive, who weren't white and who weren't men. There's a guy called Kwame Parker, who's a black man. Mitsuhisa Ishikawa, who's a Japanese man. Koko Maeda, who I think was Japanese and a woman. Katsui Morishita, who's a Japanese man. And Didi Nixon, who is a woman. Oh, and Erica Steinberg. It's like a lot of people who weren't white men, which surprised me a lot and the editor is a woman as well Sally Menke Menk. Menke Menke get in touch Sally let me know that, was, that really surprised me that it was edited by a woman anyway and then the composer is by a black guy called RZA I don't know who he is but again I was quite surprised because normally it's just like a white old man mm. who does the composing I feel um, like especially music composing is very dominated by like Hans Zimmer types, you know? Mm, John Williams. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Continue. So I was quite shocked about that. That was nice. Uh, just to say, the composer of the soundtrack is actually, is a member of the Wu-Tang Clan. So it's actually like... Uh, oh, yeah. The RZA. Yeah, that's what she meant. <laughs> RZA? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> this is very white and Look, I'm sorry. It is the wise thing I've ever said. I yeah, I, I don't know who the Rizzer is. I'm so sorry. Uh, I know of Wu Tang Clan. I'm so glad you pointed that out, Kareem. Thank you. Oh. I thought it was important to point out that it's not some random black man who did this, but also one of the most famous rapper of all time. Of all time, but it's okay. This is why you can't just have white people doing a podcast because they're just fucking idiots. <laughs> it's like, I've never heard that man great that he got to be in a film good for him okay <clears throat> anyway <sighs> right Kill Bill is a story about a woman called Beatrix Kiddo otherwise known as the bride the entirety of the first film and she is brutally beaten by a group of assassins and is shot in the head by someone who is was she uh, anyway we'll get on to that She's shot in the head by a guy called Bill and she's sort of left for dead at the altar of her wedding. Her husband's killed. She's pregnant at the time. She's in a coma for four years, wakes up, finds her baby gone and decides to seek revenge and kill everyone who was involved on that day. So that's what she does. The film is about her tracking down and killing these assassins. And we have a lot of people in this film who aren't white or men, which is really nice. We obviously have the bride, kiddo, played by Uma Thurman. We have Ellie Driver, Sophie Fatale, 
fatal. How would you say it in French? Like fatal. Fatal. Sophie fatal. Yeah. Fatal. Can I point out the only time she does speak French? It's very it's not well played. Um, he looks very like. Why are you? Why are you doing this? Okay. Okay. In the, I didn't actually look at the actress, but in the film, the character is half Japanese, and I didn't check to see if the actress is as well, because he's been quite good at matching ethnicities in the film up to real life. Yeah, she's just French. She's. I think she's just French, but she's fluent okay. in Japanese for sure. Okay, because I. Apparently, Lucy Liu wasn't ori- originally going to play Oranishii, and then he saw her in a film and decided it had to be her and changed the character to be like a Chinese-American-Japanese person so that she could play it, um, oh. which I thought was quite interesting. And then we have Vanita Green, who's Copperhead. She's the first of our victims in the film. We have Gogo Yabari, who's like a young schoolgirl t- type I guess she's schoolgirl age. She dresses like a schoolgirl and she's part of Ronishi's crew. The Crazy 88. Yeah. So she's part of that. We have Hanzo, Hattori Hanzo, who makes the samurai swords. We have Johnny Mo. I can't remember what he does in the film, but he's he's in it. We have Boss Tanaka. We have a lot of characters in this film who we can talk about on the podcast, which is really nice because, as we know, that doesn't always happen. So good job, film. Um, and uh, it passes both the female and intersectional Bechdel tests as well. I was wondering about this because at what point does two women talk about something other than the men? I guess with Bernita Green, she's like, how you been? Uh-huh. <laughs> like they have a conversation. I mean, it's not really a conversation because they want to kill each other. But mm. it's, I guess it's conversation null. It's like, yes. you're not going to kill me in front of my child. No, mm. I'm not going to kill you in front of your child. That's basically it. I think that's Thank what you. I was think I was re- I was thinking about what scene it was, and now you're right. This is mm-hmm. the thing because uh, every other scene after this is either talking about Bill or either talking about uh yeah about a man. So it's not. I was okay. wondering what time it was at this point. Yeah. Do Oren and Beatrix speak to each other a bit, but it's not really conversation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you have um. They had those lines where Oranishi is like silly Caucasian girl likes to play with samurai swords. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so they have some like back and yeah. forth. But I think the first line that's spoken in the film is "Come on, bitch, bring it on," which is I can't remember which one says it, but it's during the fight with Denise Green and um, Kiddo. And then I actually I have to say, once I've realised it's passes the test, I then stop paying attention to whether it there are any other interactions in the film. But in that same scene, Vanita talks to her daughter, who I think is named in the film. Nikki. Yeah. She says to her, like, I'll go upstairs. And so she's talking to her and she's not talking about white people. So that also passes, which is nice. I I feel like it must pass it later because I know Hanzo is chatting to the other guy in his sushi bar. But also, don't they talk to each other as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because they're calling that guy Charlie Brown. And then the whole scene with like Lucy Liu and the other Yakuza people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So it's not just that one tiny bit. It's throughout the film. That's nice. Where do we start with talking about this film? I have so many notes. I have so many notes. 
<laughs> I guess, but I've also, I don't have that many notes. Like I have Tarantino, sexist, question mark. I also have is Kill Bill feminist question mark. So you wrote like a reading, like a book club's question list (laughs) that you'd have at the back (laughs) of the book. Yeah. Ponder. But I was thinking about this whole thing with, I guess, just going back to the director Tarantino, I was just thinking about his other films and how, like, usually the women are so fucking beat up. Like, they're so bruised and, like, just beat up but then I'm like it's also the men like everyone is just it's just really grimy like all his films obviously but then I was also thinking about that whole thing that came out about him in 2019 when Yuma Thurman came out and spoke about her experience recording Kill Bill and how he had wanted to do this strangling scene with her Mm. in the face and then the same thing happened during Inglorious Bastards with Diane Kruger, I think that's Yes. Yeah. I could, yesterday I was like, what is her name? Because I think she spoke on Graham Norton. She was like, oh yeah, I was actually strangled in that scene so that it looked real. And I read about that as well from his perspective where he was saying something in the lines of strangling someone or when someone is suffocating, you need to do it properly because you can't act that part, which just grossed me out a bit. And it's just kept me thinking about like how women are usually portrayed. And then obviously then how he, how he treats his female actresses on set and stuff. And mm. neither Yuma Thurman or Diane Kruger has worked with him since. So I was just thinking about, like, it's it's interesting because obviously Kill Bill or Beatrix Kiddo, like not actually the film, but more her character, has become this feminist symbol in a way. And I know that Yuma Thurman has spoke about how women have come up to her being like, it's been such a great support for me. Like I found uh, Beatrix as a character really encouraging and like strong. She's a good role model, which is interesting interesting because I also read that Yuma was a big part of developing her character together Mm. you know it wasn't something that she was handed but something that she developed herself a lot yeah she worked on the she worked on the story with the Tarantino at the time at the very beginning actually I think Mm -hmm. they they stopped uh, working on it when they were filming Pulp Fiction so it was a long project but that just made, made me think that it's interesting that a film that is in so many ways seen as a very sort of like a feminist power film also might not be that at all in terms of like the behind the scenes and how sort of everything's played out Mm -hmm. so I guess that was one point (laughs) no and I agree with you because so I haven't seen this movie in a long time until today and basically I had the same feeling the first time I saw it I was like oh my god this woman is powerful like all the women are amazing they can fight and this is all about the woman and since then, Me Too happened, and Matt Roman talked about this, and how basically she was a big part of the project, then she really didn't like filming this movie, because there was the strangling scene, but there's also the accent that she got for the Kill Bill number two, and mm-hmm. that said that she had still, like, she's still recovering from it, so... And that she did not like filming this movie at the end. And at the end of the day, it's like, I love this movie, but now watching it again, I'm just thinking there's so many things that bothers me because even if the message is right, the fact that Tarantino does this with his actress, because at the end of the day, he does this with actress. Like, woman in his movies 
suffer in a different way that men do suffer in all these movies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and women struggle or raped and it doesn't like all turn to the movie of violent like this is not something that nobody knows but the way it treats women even if they show you show them as powerful they have to suffer in a way and it's usually rape. yes i wrote this down female but this i think this goes across a lot of different revenge films so if you look at like the revenge film category when we think about female revenge it's always triggered by sexual abuse like it's always Mm -hmm. the woman that has been abused and then seeks out revenge like personally like i'm gonna i'm gonna revenge my own abuse like my own torture like what i've been through my own trauma Whilst if you look at like male revenge film, it's usually about like their families or their partners that has been the victim of abuse. So it's never their like personal, you know, revenge stories when it comes to men. But with women, it always has to come down to like sexual abuse, like mm. which I guess is the most humiliating then or like the, mo- the most horrible thing for a woman to experience. And therefore, I guess it sort of appears in every movie. But I was just like... Couldn't it have been just something else, you know? Just anything else. Yeah. I have a question because I haven't seen the second film in a really long time. Does Bill rape her? Is that why she was pregnant with his baby? Because my understanding was that she's going on this revenge spree because they'd killed like her soon-to-be husband and she thinks her baby. And mm-hmm. I know there's like rape stuff later on, but it's not that Bill because I thought oh it's quite interesting that yeah the main theme of revenge isn't about rape because you're right there are so many mm. rape revenge films that are just frustrating this is what I think with Bill I think that is more like psychological abuse or like mm. sort of trauma but yeah okay so I think Kill Bill differs from I guess more classical sort of re- revenge films with a female lead but even in Kill Bill, we have the rape revenge in terms of when she's in mm. coma and this fucking buck guy obviously rapes her and that is like her first victim. So you still have that like rape revenge story in, in weaved into the film. Mm. And I don't know if you necessarily would have needed that. That's mm. what I'm thinking. Because even if it's mm-hmm. not why she's getting revenge, I think in every, and that's not just Tarantino, that's in a lot of movies. Like a woman have to suffer through sexual assault to be strong and to like, and like it has to be part of the narrative, which is that, I mean, the fact that the uh, nurse actually raped her, mm. it has no use to the story. Oh. Like it, 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 could, it could have like just take this out and, but it, it did put it in there. And that's, that's my part. I'm just like, okay, that was not necessary, but it's in a lot of movies that you have powerful women who being, either sexual assaulted or either like abused in a way that it's this is how they became Mm -hmm. strong and this is how we explain how they became what they are today exactly it wasn't enough that she was fucking shot in the head yeah like they had to rape her as well like yeah i don't know yeah re-watching yesterday i was like this doesn't this doesn't need to be in here it doesn't add anything to the film there's a tiny part of me that's satisfied when she realizes what box done and then like smashes his head with the door but she was doing that anyway to get information from him to find out who bill was this arc actually in the movie for me was not necessary and i don't think it was 
treating in a very good way in a way like I don't think it was I, I mean there's movies about this like about nurse raping women in comas and I think it was very well done but this was just like another violent scene in the movie I agree it I have to say the bit during the anime sequence when Oranishii like sees her dad get killed and her mum get killed when the mum's thrown on the bed my first thought was like oh no we're about to see the mum get raped that's what I was expecting to happen next and like I was like oh thank god she just got murdered she didn't get raped first I was like I just don't know if I want to keep seeing this on screen all the time Mm. because I mean this is a little bit off topic but it's I rewatched all of the series of Game of Thrones ahead of the last series so like a couple of years ago now and rewatching it and knowing, like, having evolved so much more as a person from when I'd seen it first, I was like, man, every woman in this film is either raped or is, like, threatened with it. Mm. I mean, I think it was after season five. I think it was after Senta. Yeah, yeah. that fucking horrible scene. When she got yeah. raped, I was like, I think I'm done with this show. Yeah. Like, yeah. if one more woman gets raped in this show, I'm done. Yeah. Because yeah. every woman goes through this. And it's like, it's it's like a thing. Yeah, but it's also like, what annoys me as well, I think also with with Kill Bill and a lot of these sort of rape revenge films is that that is the ritual for them to become strong. Like they have to go through sexual abuse to become strong. And I'm like, that can't be, no, that's surely, that's just such an easy way of going. Like that the sexual abuse would trigger something that will yeah. make you like want to rev- I don't know I, I feel like it's just such a cheap way of doing it it's so one note because obviously you know survivors of rape and sexual assault some of them may well go on to be like it might have made them stronger in air quotes but a lot of women wouldn't be like that like people would react to that situation in so many different ways and like every time what could be the case that I mean if it were every time that women were then going out and seeking revenge like there'd be a lot less men left on the planet yeah also I'm thinking the same thing with with like men I think I mean referring back to Game of Thrones again I think Sansa in one of the later seasons she says something in lines with I wouldn't be the person I am without Ramsay or Littlefinger where she's basically almost thanking one of her like abusers for being the person she is and it's just like I feel like it's a narrative that you know wants to portray women as obviously coming out stronger after an abuse but it's also the trigger of becoming this strong leader which I'm like men Mm. never has to go through that like they get they get like weapon training when they're kids and they're like I want to be a king yay you can be a king (laughs) like that's the only thing that happens but a woman has to get fucking raped to be like I think I can be queen you know Mm. it's just not yeah because also like again sticking with game of thrones like so if you look at like sansa and then rob stark they both have the same sort of experience of trauma of like sansa is like dragged away from her home has to go to the capital Mm -hmm. and then both of them end up losing their home and rob is just like oh i'm just going to join this army and i'm going to be really strong and need this and he's allowed these moments of weakness where he's unsure of if he's doing the right thing but they both start out at the same place I know, obviously, he dies a lot sooner than she does, and there's a lot that goes on in Game of Thrones. But he was just able to be, like, a warrior who leads an army without needing... And, like, he experiences his dad dying, and he experiences all of the same stuff that she does. Mm. 
but doesn't have to go through being raped to then be a strong character. Exactly. <laughs> it is, uh, it is yeah. when Beatrix in Kill Bill realizes that she's been raped, it's glorifying sexual abuse. Like that is mm. one of us. It's like something that it's basically using it as a tool to get like an emotional reaction from the audience, which I just feel like it's not necessary and it's a cheap trick like it's it's because also I just feel like traumatizing the lives of a character I mean obviously that will be reflected in your audience and in your viewer and I feel like it's just so unnecessary Mm -hmm. why why Uh, because she'd already like the trauma was already there for her she'd already gone through the trauma I mean yeah you have the first scene when she realized she's not pregnant anymore and she's crying that yeah. scene is already very powerful. Yeah. But she mm-hmm. realizes and she's very sad. She's crying and, and she's screaming. Yeah. And all like just this is already big to mm-hmm. actually live with this. Mm-hmm. So the 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 rape by the nurse is not necessary. And also not just yeah. the nurse, but all the people who paid for it. So exactly. I feel like a lot of the times in films, you they would justify saying that men get abused like physically as well Mm -hmm. like if you look at Tarantino's films for example obviously everyone gets abused physically but I just don't think you can put like physical abuse on the same scale as sexual abuse because it's such a different kind of abuse like one of them is like basically invading your own body and one of them is just like beating you up a bit you know what I mean like I feel like I think it's more personal too Mm. like the sexual abuse is more it's about you like as a like Mm -hmm. In this movie, there's a lot of people dying, obviously. She's killing a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's funny because I, I we're watching this movie and we're thinking like how unrealistic this movie is. <laughs> like she kills a billion people. Doesn't get killed. Like, and they all like fight with swords. Like it's 20, it's like even 20, it's 2003. So mm-hmm. who, like who doesn't have a gun and kill her? But okay, whatever. No, I realized how realistic it was, but I, that's also what I love about Tarantino movies. It's like, it's just his fantasy of what it would be because yeah. it would never happen. It's theatrical. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That is actually one thing I really like with, I mean, this film and a lot of Tarantino's films is the theatrical part of it that is just so mm-hmm. exaggerated and weird and like the blood splatting and all yeah. of that stuff. Like when Oranishi cuts off Boss Tanaka's head and there's just that blood spraying straight up for ages. Oh, that's so satisfying. It's so like unrealistic. It and then it's like, yeah. Sh- <laughs> so good and that okay so this part of the movie when uh, Lucy Liu is doing this like making sure she's the boss is like my favorite part of the movie and I think that's when I can say the movie is a feminist movie in a way because it's just like she's just like I'm the boss shut the fuck up and I'll do whatever I want and she's the boss and she like she doesn't have to prove it anyway. She's like, I'm going to kill you if you don't listen to me. Mm-hmm. And that's the part I'm like, yeah, okay. Women have power in this movie, so mm-hmm. that's good. Just after she cuts off that guy's head, you see Sophie and Gogo both like smirking and like, oh, yeah. They're like, yeah, our lady boss just killed that man for being a dick to her. I wonder if, yeah, like I think it's something about as well Beatrix fighting her sort of female peers that I'm just like, why? You would be such a good squad together. Like, why did you try to kill her in the first place? And like, 
why it would be so much better if like it was a male squad and then you were all like rallying up killing all the fucking men together like <laughs> it would be so good it's such a waste of like cool women as well mm. like cutting them off like Renita is such a cool character Orinishi is such a cool character like there's just such cool characters and I'm like mm. Such a waste. I know, but yeah. this is what bothers me is that at the end of the day, I think Bill put them against each other. And yeah. that's I, I was rewatching this movie, I was like, they should be together. Like yeah. why is this guy is a boss of them? Like yeah. we should like say fuck him and we also amazing, we should all be together. And it's like mm. because the I mean the first like kill bill one, basically you kind of like Lucy Liu because she looks cool. She's like the boss. Amazing. And she had this horrific childhood. And you're just like, yeah, she's cool. And then she dies. And you're like, okay. So mm-hmm. that was a cool character that dies. And mm-hmm. you don't, but well, at the end of the day, they all bad people. So it's kind of like I was watching this movie. And I was like, I don't know if I feel empathy for any of them because they're just killers. So should we glorify this too? I don't know. It's mm-hmm. really killing. Yeah. I did find, because obviously you don't see Bill's face at all in the film. But he does interact with, you see like him kill it, well, trying to kill Beatrix. And then he talks to Ellie Driver and he talks to Sophie Fatale as well. And the way he talks to them, it feels so sinister and controlling. And he's saying like, I love you and you're special. And I can't remember the exact words, but when the camera's focused on Sophie's face and his hand is on her shoulder, I was like, oh God. So creepy. It's it just there's obviously a lot of power that he has over these women that's come from an abusive place like my first I think the first thing I wrote down was like this feels like almost not even an over-exaggeration of domestic violence because for some women it does get to the point of Beatrix and what she goes through maybe not with it being all of those people and it being at an altar there's so much of that like emotional manipulation with him as well like the way he spoke to Ellie he like because when he calls her and says don't kill Beatrix mm-hmm. she's like what the fuck we don't owe her anything and he's like we're not gonna be the kind of people who kill her in her sleep and I was like but surely you sent her right like presumably you knew she was there to do it because when he calls he's like oh, are you there so I was like was it just that you changed your mind are you trying to mess around with Ellie like you've made her seem like a bad person because she was going to kill her in her sleep and wasn't going to think of like I don't know but yeah I think it's that that he's just like constantly manipulating them and like playing with their heads all of that I mean obviously this like the first part of Kill Bill doesn't really give you a lot of backstory into Beatrix and and Bill's relationship it doesn't really give you that much but thinking of how he treats Elle and um, Sophie like you could see that it is a very destructive uh, abusive relationship and it's almost like he's yeah like you said Corinne that he's like just yeah treating them all almost like a love interest but then like treating them all so they're ghosts against each other and like thinking of it it's almost like reflection of society in general how the patriarchy always like tells women to like fight rather than you know growing up you fight for like the attention of men yeah exactly for men so I mean it's interesting from that point of view as well one of the things I did really like about the film is that other than 
Gogo, who's dressed as a schoolgirl. None of the other women are like where they're all wearing quite appropriate clothes for fighting. I know Oren is wearing, is it like a full kimono she's wearing? But she, she's not like wearing a short skirt. Because in my head, I was like, this could so easily have gone down like Charlie's a route of yeah. Charlie's Angels. Yeah, like really short skirts and like tits huh. hanging out. And I was quite glad that they're all dressed quite sensibly and it's not like that. Because mm. that feels particularly... Charlie's Angels came out around a similar time, I think. Mm. And it's just awful. I also like that she's wearing like a pair of jeans that's not very well fitting. Like, and she's just wearing stuff that like, you know, any sort of normal, not serial killer person would wear. Like, and it's sort of like that. It's not about emphasizing her body in any kind of way. It's just very functional. That's what I thought too. I really, because I was really, before I watched this movie, I was thinking it's going to be like a male gaze which is going to be like the woman and like see the like how we're going to film it and I actually was very happy that it was not really this way she is not about how sexy she is and how I mean obviously we're talking about very thin women like there's like Mm. not a diversity there but the the way it's filmed it doesn't look like it's a fantasy of men watching women so which I like Mm-hmm. and I feel like also it's very sort of they don't really wear much makeup like any of the killer women maybe except for Elle she's a bit of like a, mm. I feel like she's like a a more Patel type. yeah yeah she's a bit more like a sexy the sexy one whilst the other ones mm. are very like functional and like almost like an athlete like a professional athlete they're just like probably really fit like they probably have like a six-pack abs and they're like very mm. strong and they're like you know their their physique must be really good because I mean to be able to fight like that and I mean when when she's in the big hall fighting all these people and she's holding herself up in the in the roof or the ceiling I'm like well you have to have muscles of steel to be able to do that <laughs> Oh my god! Like, how can you even do that? Like, just it's insane. Like, I feel like that is a trait of Beatrix Kiddo that I admire so much. Her like dedication to kill, like <laughs> <laughs> how she drags herself out of that fucking hospital after killing a guy, killing two, two men guys, yeah, whilst being paralyzed from the waist down. I'm like, how? And then. She gets into wheelchair, <laughs> rolled herself out into the pussy wagon, pops into the back seat, sits in there for 12 hours, makes her toes wiggle, then she can walk. But it's it's funny because when I watched the movie, it was like, so the movie's really about her killing people. Like there's nothing else happening in this movie except her killing people. And it's two hours when she's just killing people. I mean, the scene in the hall that scene is probably like what 40 minutes half an hour like it's so long and it's just them being in there like fighting and that's why i love tarantino movies because obviously they're violent but the fact that we went from black and white to like color and Mm. stuff like it's less like you can watch it better and and every fight is pretty amazing all every time so it doesn't bother me that it lasted 40 minutes because I enjoy every minute of it but um it's yeah. so exotic and I think what I love about it is the over the top part of it I know there's a lot of problems with Django Unchained but I really love the end 
where the I can't remember who it is is firing on the big house and there's like blood just spraying everywhere and it's just like 15 minutes of just the whole inside of the house just covered in blood but I remember seeing it at the cinema and being like that felt so good to watch it felt so satisfying it's obviously so over the top and fake but it's so great mm. it's funny because this is one of the few movies from him that I didn't like Django yeah I kind of felt uh I don't know it was violent and the fact that I use the n-word so many times and that bothers me a lot and I mean the 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 acting is amazing don't get me wrong but I mean like everybody's amazing in it but I just thought it was too violent and as much like I love English Bastard for example was also very violent but in a different way Mm -hmm. I don't know maybe it's because I'm black I don't know I have no idea no because I mean when I first saw Django I didn't I didn't really think about it I was just like oh I really enjoyed that but it was only like much later on and actually when Lee was like it shouldn't be called Django Unchained it's just about Christoph Waltz it's not about Django and I was like oh yeah like he kills the bad guy he frees Django he drags him around and he's moving the whole story and then like all of the like the fighting between the like the black people as they're being made to like it's really brutal and it's not like a comedy violence way like the head being cut off the yakuza guy it's just satisfying and kind of funny it's not it's just horrible and it's really hard to watch and it's too i think it was like it was the first time like it was hard for me to watch it the scene for example i think where there's like black men being uh like eaten by dogs i think at some point yeah yeah i just yeah. couldn't watch this i was like um i don't need to see this in my life i'm good so mm-hmm. i was like nope but to be fair every like if i look at all the tarantino movies my favorite ones are not the ones that are more violent like Kill Bill is obviously very violent. I love this one, but my favorite one is like Jackie Brown, which I think is not that violent. But yeah, I, I Jungle and Chain was too much for me. So yeah, those violent bits I don't like. The only bit of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I like was all the violence at the end, but only because I just found it so. I don't know if either of you have seen it. Mm-hmm. I just found it because again, Lee and I were talking about it last night, and he was like, "It's so brutal." Like. I just found that violent because even though it is it's not comedy violence in the way that all this stuff in Kill Bill is like the spraying blood and stuff like you see a woman's face getting mashed in but I think the context around it I found so funny that like Brad Pitt was on acid and he's a stuntman and they've come into someone's home thinking we're going to kill people and we're doing this for reasons that they think are right and I'm like oh you just walked in on a stuntman who's going to beat you up like he knows what he's doing oh my god I just found it so funny and obviously he thinks it's this like am I tripping and then the whole scene where Leonardo DiCaprio gets out of that fucking flamethrower I was like this is amazing oh my god Mm. that was all I liked I, I don't know I think there's we see so many real clips of black people being killed. Like, like seeing it in a film is like this isn't this isn't a comedy fantasy. This is this happens. But I, I mean, the thing is, Tarantino always said like when he did English Bastard, when he did Django Unchained, that it was like it's like it's fantasy. What would happen? Because I mean, English Bastard never like it's a not a true story, but it's like the fantasy yeah. who kill Hitler. This is why he would like imagine it. Mm-hmm. So that's a different thing. And I don't know. I thought Jungle and Chain was a different was different because it wasn't it wasn't like a comedy for me. 
Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. You don't got it. I didn't see it this way, but I don't know. I mean, it's 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 a good movie. I just did not enjoy watching it. Like it was just not fun for me to watch it. But no. but to uh, to come back to Tarantino, because I mean, Kill Bill. Obviously, there is the movie that we liked, but there's also like like we talked at the beginning, the fact that the filming was not a very good environment for some of the actresses, especially. Mm-hmm. So it's. It's always, I'm always thinking because I used to love this movie until I heard this. I mean, I still love this movie, but I'm just like, oh, I don't like, I don't know how I feel when Tarantino says that I had to strangle her because she wouldn't mm. react it the same way. Yeah. I'm like, but do, do I want to make people suffer to make a good movie? I'm not sure, especially women. It seems to be always woman suffering. Yeah, I think that's what's concerning is that he's putting his film above people's well-being and people's health. Like he's like, I just want it to look realistic. And that shouldn't be, you shouldn't be putting that above. Because I think, again, Lee and I were talking about this last night, the crash that she was in, mm. Lee did some research for me because I'm really bad at doing that. So. He said that she'd crashed because she was driving and was looking to the the side at the camera and they said don't worry there's nothing in the way just drive straight and again I was like why would you make her actually drive on a road you don't need to do that I know you want it to look realistic but why would you risk someone crashing and seriously hurting themselves and also she asked for someone double she asked for it and they said no oh really has to be like she asked to be replaced and they said no and then when she had the accident Basically, what happened is she said, I want to see the footage. And she, she, they told her no until she signed something to say she wouldn't do anything if she could see the footage. And she only talked about it when the Epstein uh, scandal happened because mm. she couldn't talk about it before. And I don't know how much power as a woman on set you'd feel you'd have if you're... Because I, I don't know where Lee had found this. And I can't remember whether it was that Uma Thurman had said it was her idea to do the strangling or whether Quinton had said it was her idea. But I was like, even if she had said, oh, I think it would be really cool to do this. Like as the director helming this film, you should not have let that happen. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine as a woman in Hollywood in like the early noughties, how much power you'd have. Like if your director said you want that to happen, how much power would you have to if you didn't want to like I can imagine even if she had said yeah sure it would be easy to feel like if I don't do this then I think it's also something about Tarantino's obviously all his films are very grimy he has this sort of love for the grotesque and weird and grimy like that is just his way but then when I think he was on a late night show when he was talking about this like strangling and he he said something in the lines of it's just something when someone actually gets strangled their veins pop and their eyes almost pop out of their sockets and I was just Mm. it's just not you know what I mean like I I just feel that it was something very troubling in that sense that he had also wanted to perform that on his actresses and then I'm also thinking does he ever do that if his male actress get strangled you know what I mean like Mm. do that to Leonardo DiCaprio or Brad Pitt because like why did they need to be strangled because I, I can't think of any instances where the men in any of his films are strangled no. and obviously I haven't just watched all of his films back to back so I don't know but those two instances are really famous like the one with Uma and the other lady I was just like they didn't need to be 
they didn't need to be strangled like if you felt like no it's not gonna look great because we can't make it look realistic just have something else happen instead exactly I really like that the reason why it popped up was because I was looking at Diane Krug and was like oh she's born in Germany oh yeah of course because she's German and Glorious Bastards and obviously Christoph Waltz is in it I think he's Austrian Mm. and Michael Fassbender's in it and he's half German and I was like oh it, it is really nice that he tries to if he's like set a film in a certain place he tries to cast people who are actually from that place I, I just thought that was really nice and that they were speaking Japanese a lot throughout the yes. film that's yeah. what I like too I was happy that like you know in so many mo- American movies you just like they speak English all the time even when they're in Tokyo and you're like they would never speak English but- yeah <laughs> But and even when Lucy does it, it, it's to make a point. Like it's how, like I'm making a point that I'm also American. But at the end of the day, when they're in Tokyo, they all speak Japanese. The only time is when even German is there that they have to speak English. But all the other time they speak in Japanese, mm-hmm. and it's not forced. So I actually like this part, and that they use actors that actually speak the language too. Which I, I don't I don't know if Lucy Liu speaks Japanese though, because I think she's Chinese American. Yeah, I think you're right. But I did like that he had changed the characters so that the characters part Chinese as well. Mm. It just when you see like films like that, it makes you think of all the other films that they're just in countries where they're speaking English. It just seems really lazy. But it also feels more impactful sometimes. Like I think when Beatrix calls out to Oronishi. She says it in Japanese. I can't remember what she says, but she like calls out to her in Japanese and it just felt more powerful than if it had been in English and just makes more sense because she's in Japan. She's surrounded by Japanese people and she wants more to know that she's calling this woman out. That's when she cuts off the arm of Sophie, right? Just after. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked it when she was like, if you're lucky enough to have your lives, then you may go, but leave your limbs. They yeah. open me now. Yeah. <laughs> Such a fucking weirdo. Like, I know. Also, the use of, like music in that scene is so good with yes. the band. Like, and it's so was, cool that it's women in the band. I know. I was thinking about this. Like, I wonder if they found that band and they were like, "We want them to perform in the film," or if. Oh. It, so I did some IMDb trivia searching earlier. So. I don't know how accurate their little trivia facts are, but apparently Tarantino was in Japan and heard the song, the woohoo, I think. He heard them playing in a shopping mall and he went up to someone working there and was like, who is this? And got them to sell him their copy of the CD because he didn't have time to go to a CD store. I think he was like running back home or something. So yeah, he heard it in Japan, like in a shopping mall, apparently, and decided, I really want them to be in this film. They're exactly the right sound for this scene so good so it is an actual band like yeah yeah there's there's well i guess their songs would be on spotify anyway because it would be part of the soundtrack but yeah they're on spotify i think they're called like the five six seven eights yeah i love i mean the soundtrack of this movie is amazing so it's, it's all different style and it's pretty fun and i remember buying it when i basically when it came out that was like i have to like i love the music the other thing that i thought that was really enjoyable to see is when beatrix is taking on all of the is it the crazy 88s or something mm-hmm. they all run at her screaming and she's just stood there really calm really confident and quiet and then just kills them all 
and it felt really satisfying to just see her being this like calmly confident woman killing all of these screaming men <laughs> did we want to say anything about gogo because she is dressed like a schoolgirl, and is there's a scene where she's like really giggly and is talking to that guy and is like do you want to have sex with me and then she stabs him with her sword and is like now i'm penetrating you i was like oh <laughs> i feel like this man might have been trapped a little bit there i don't know because you don't see any lead up so you don't know whether he was being really creepy and pervy or whether he was just at the bar and she was like, do you want to have sex with me? Ha ha. Fuck you. you in the stomach. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was thinking about that because once again, like I think it's throughout the film and like the violence is sort of the main drive is some sort of like either sex or sexual abuse. Like I just feel like it would have been, a, like, if she would have been crazy, she would have been just said hi and then stabbed him in the gut. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it doesn't need that, like, of her being like, you want to fuck me or whatever. And <laughs> I don't know. It was just, I just felt that was also unnecessary that it has to have, like, you have to have that undertones of, like, sex or, mm. I don't know. Because she was like, I think in the pre, like, when uh, Beatrix, she's narr- narrating all the um, descriptions of the characters. And when she's doing go-go's, I think she says something like, she's absolutely insane or like she's she's in she's crazy and I think then she says uh what she lacks in maturity she has it in craziness or something like mm-hmm. this yeah exactly and then you would like i don't know you don't need that mm-hmm. do you want to have sex with me and then i'm pregnant i penetrated you now haha <laughs> like <laughs> i just felt like it was so cheap and not necessary mm-hmm. But what I do like when she's uh, fighting Yuma Truman and the way they fight is actually pretty fun and entertaining and not at and not at all like she's you can see the crazy in her and not like the sexy schoolgirl kind of thing do, uh, happening. So mm-hmm. I actually like I like the character and I thought it was very fun yeah. and uh, we you like you scared of her like you actually scared mm-hmm. of her like she's crazy. She is crazy. Yeah. I think I liked that she was dressed as a schoolgirl because it felt like a nice juxtaposition of she's dressed like what is a lot of is a fantasy for some men like the schoolgirl but she's lethal as well and I felt similarly when Elle dresses up as a nurse I was like oh for a lot of men this would be like a sexy um role play moment but she's there to kill someone and she's deadly so I quite liked I liked that like not all of the characters had to be like that but you had some in there who are like it almost felt like a trick mm. for men watching it. Like, oh yeah, cool. Not that all men would be interested in someone looking like a schoolgirl, obviously. There is that when, because I think when she's facing off with Beatrix, I can't remember what she says, but she starts giggling and it's a really like high-pitched, girly schoolgirl giggle. And because you know she's about to try and kill Beatrix, it felt really sinister. <laughs> I was like, oh. Yeah, she's absolutely insane. Like... Mm. But I I like that she was part of the Oranishi army. Like she's like she's like the first bodyguard, and like the second in command is Sophie Fatal, and she's like this is an army of women, and they're the they're on the top. So even if she's like and she's like as she trusts her so much that she's like as much as crazy she is, she's like yeah, that's 
the ones protecting me. And she's loyal to her too. Beatrix even says, like, you don't have to fight me. Like, my issue is with your boss, not with you. You can go. And she's like, ha, 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 no. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, going back to what you're saying about sex, I thought it was, you know, okay, so during Oronishii's and the anime sequence of why she ended up being the head of the Yakuza, firstly, I think I noted her like this film has so much trauma in it because not only do her parents get murdered, they get murdered in front of her. And not only that, but she sees the light leaving her dad's eyes as he dies and is then under the bed when her mum gets killed. And then when she exacts revenge on the guy responsible, Beatrix says something like, luckily for her, he was a paedophile. Yeah. And I was like, did it? Could she? I mean, I guess that allowed her access to his bedroom. But again, it's like that sexual undertone of her having to like seduce him and be sexy to just then kill him. I felt that with, like, I draw a parallel to Game of Thrones with that as well. When Arya, when she kills the, um, I can't remember who it is she kills. But she oh, kills yes. The guy in like a, Walden Frey. Walder Frey? Walder Frey, I think. Yeah. With the pie. She's giving him a pie and then he like grows no, her bum. About that one. I'm thinking about oh, no. he's in um, Oh when she's yes. dressed in up the... as like, a little blonde girl. Or she has yeah. like, a little blonde girl and she goes into like a it's like a pedophile. She's in a brothel, yeah. A brothel, and yeah, he's... she's in a brothel, yeah. Yeah, and, like, and he wants like young thing. girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Exactly. It's a lot of parallels with this in Game of Thrones, but I think it's, once again, it's that thing about, like, you saying, like, the most disgusting thing, you know, that could happen to a human being, like, and then that becomes their strength and their advantage. They're like, fuck you, I'm going to kill you now, bye, you know? And I think, and like you say, it's not just Game of Thrones, this movie, it's like in many action movies, yeah. women, like, the ultimate thing that a woman, the worst thing that could happen to a woman is sexual assault. Exactly. And because of this, she becomes stronger after this. Like, mm. she, in order to be strong, she has to live through this. But also, I guess with this, the whole sort of him being a pedophile and that was her only access, like, she has to put her through that kind of trauma like being traumatized by this experience to be able to get to him and kill him rather than you know like I feel like if if it was from a male perspective it would have been like he sneaked into his room by night and slit his throat something like that or maybe not Mm -hmm. that because that would have been I mean maybe because he would have fought him when he was a grown man Mm -hmm. like it wouldn't been any in any kind of sexual situation yeah it would have they wouldn't have said luckily for him he was a pedophile. Like that yeah. kind of narrative wouldn't have existed if the main, like if her, uh, she's not the main character, but if uh, Oren was a man, I think. It would have been like when he became uh, 22 years old and had trained for 10 years in the sword, <laughs> arts of sword, he barged into Tanaka's bedroom, faced him, sword up. <laughs> Yeah, you know. Yeah. Basically how how it all gone. Yeah. You're right. But uh, Um, okay, so my question is, why do you think we still have this? Because it's everywhere. I guess because you have far more men making movies than women. And for some reason, men seem to find this an interesting or like the only narrative that women can go down. 
exactly. if they're going to have any kind of character arc. Exactly. But I guess also thinking about like the most tragic thing that can ha- happen to a human, like what could that be? Like what is the most traumatizing thing that could happen to a human? And you know that saying about how the most traumatizing thing for a woman is rape. Like that is what traumatizes a woman the most, whilst the most traumatizing for a man is being laughed at or being humiliated Mm. and I think that just like resonates throughout this movie so much like the humiliation is the ultimate trauma for a man being humiliated not standing up for a family standing up for your wife Mm. you know Uh, once again tying it back to revenge films if it's from a male perspective it's your wife that has been raped it is your family your children that has been you know abused somehow and you have to revenge on their behalf Whilst if it's a woman, she goes out and commits, does her own revenge. Like she revenge her abuser, like her personal trauma. And I think that it's sort of what it comes down to in the end. But yeah, it's still a patriarchal society that pushes mm-hmm. you, like still having this view because at the end of the day, every movie is using this trope really mm-hmm. when it's not necessary. We don't need to like, we also entertain the fact that this is a world that happened to us and that make us stronger when mm. really we could live without it for sure. Violence against women. I can be a strong not- person and not experience that. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, violence against women is not necessary in the society to make us stronger. So mm. it's just, I don't know. It's, it's yeah. because you see this in many movies. It's yeah. the trope is using a lot of movies and a lot of books. Exactly. And I'm, I'm thinking also, why would men not need that personal motivator of abuse while women need it? Like, why wouldn't men also have to go through a trauma of maybe sexual or physical abuse to, to, be, to like develop that strong revenge feeling or feeling of having to do right or social justice, whatever they feel like mm-hmm. they need to do. Whilst women always have to go through some sort of abuse to do that. I don't know. Make me think of, um, you know, the film Taken that like, I will yes. find you and I will kill you. So, like, his whole thing is that his daughter is being kidnapped and she's experiencing some awful trauma yeah. by being kidnapped. But that's all that happens to him. And that's an awful thing, obviously, to happen, but that's enough for him to have his whole character story. Exactly. Like, why, why couldn't yeah. there be films? Because that's kind of a revenge film. He's going to rescue his daughter and kill the people to find them and kill them mm-hmm. who kidnapped her. And that could easily have been, like, a woman whose child has been abducted. Who Like, you could easily have the same reaction. And as you were saying earlier, Corinne, with Beatrix, like the trauma for her, like when she wakes up and like grabs her stomach and realizes she's not pregnant anymore, that's such an awful moment for her to, like, to see her realize, but I'm not pregnant, I've lost my baby. What's, ha- oh my God, like that's awful. You don't need anything else on top of that. That's already awful. So that's that's my problem with this movie because this movie was called a feminist movie because it was putting women on top and everything. But at the end of the day, it's a movie about women being abused. Mm. What does it say about the movie that you have to be abused to be powerful? And that bothers me that a woman has to be a victim before she can be a warrior. And you're just like, this is always the same thing. And also, like, there is no sorority in this movie. None of the women like each other. They all hate each other. So Mm. (laughs) this movie is not about women, really. And it's all about, like, Bill being the... The, the top of everything and woman either below him because every time you remind them you reminded that 
he was the one who was who put them in this position and who controlled them as much as I love there's a lot of women in this movie and actually all the men in this movie are like portrayed in a bad way which is very it's like you you, you can you have empathy for women but you have no empathy for any of the men in the movie because they're all bad mm-hmm. but at the end of the day it's all about I don't know it's they're not the char- the main character of their own story. Bill is still there. And Bill is the main thing. She wants to kill Bill. She wants to kill all those women because of Bill. It's like, it's, I don't know. I mean, I think you summarized it so well. Women can't be warriors without being victims. I think that is like Hollywood filmmaking in a nutshell. Like you have to be a victim to be a warrior. And that's it if you're a woman. There's no other. Unless you're unless you're one of the Amazons in Wonder Woman. Yeah. And then you're just born to be a warrior. Exactly. Yeah, but, but that's uh, it. The, the, the Wonder Woman <laughs> trap is different. The Wonder Woman trap is like you are more powerful than any other human being. But yeah. still a man has to save you because he knows better than you. Mm-hmm. And you have to wear a tiny <laughs> little skirt and heels. <laughs> okay, <Exactly. anyway. laughs> okay, so how are we going to rate? I think it's going to be hard to rate this film because there are things that are good and then as we've just said, things that are bad and are just tropes that have been redone. Okay, so the female side first out of five. I mean, it's not a lot of dialogue in this film. And also when they're speaking to each other, they're about to kill each other. So I don't know, maybe like a two, two and a half. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Because they still have a dialogue, I guess, but it's not... mm. And they're think, not, yeah. I don't know. Part of me wants to give it a three because I love that the women are fighting, that they're very, they're all very confident and also very, they're all very skilled. And True. like, obviously, Oranishi is the top of the Yakuza. And and I guess she has her little posse when they're like backing each other. Yeah. yeah and Beatrix is obviously. Is good. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. We'll go for three. And then. The intersectional side. That's actually, I think it's good because it's portraying like minorities, like different cultures. It's not, a, it's not offensive at all. It's like you have, they speak Japanese and mm-hmm. like it's not stereotypical in a way. Maybe I'm saying that because I'm not Asian, but I don't know. I didn't feel like it was forced. Yeah. I didn't feel, I don't know. I, I, it was good on this point, I think. And the characters are not defined by their ethnicity. So mm-hmm. I don't know how much you want to give it, but I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I would say maybe a three or maybe four even. I would say four. Four, yeah. Yeah, I, could do I think four is good. Yeah, also I think from my, my IMDb, very professional research and from what Lee's told me, the film is based on a lot of like 70s kung fu movies that were made, like a lot of Japanese and Chinese movies. So because they are like they were made in like Japan and China and he's borrowed a lot from then I feel like I feel quite confident in that the representation is good it might be dated because it's like a 70s version but at least it's not like Hollywood movies from the 70s that are, think this is how Asian people should be portrayed or like East Asian people mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I think four is good cool seven out of ten that's not bad it's good and I'd still feel like I'd say to someone, oh, you should watch this because it's such a, it's just beautiful. Like the imagery, I really liked all of the blood, as I keep mentioning. Also the fact that like her yellow outfit and the, uh, it's just very stylistic. Oh, I love this movie because the music is amazing. The film, yeah. the, it's, 
uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, beautifully filmed. So I really liked it. But now the message bothers me sometimes. But I, I think it's a beautiful movie. Same. I agree. I think it's also something about Yuma Thurman's very physical acting. She's so like, I love the small nuances in her way of like, you know, turning her head. And she's like, she's so expressive and physical in her acting in this film, which I really love. Uh, yeah, she's just outstanding. Agreed. Cool. So Kill Bill Volume 1 gets 7 out of 10. Not quite a femme fresh, but not too far off. Good job, Quentin. If you want to get involved in the chat and let us know what you think about Kill Bill, then you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Real Feminism, Real Spot, R-E-E-L. I would like to say a very big thank you to Hedvig and Kareen for joining me today. Thank you! Suddenly lost their voices after five hours of non-stop talking. And thank you very much to Lee for doing all the editing and producing and artwork. Thank you to Sandra for doing the music that you hear at the beginning and end of this podcast. And we will be back in your ears in two weeks' time, where we'll be discussing, drum roll please, beautiful, thank you so much, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, I think is the full title. Cool. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.